If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump, Brett Contreras came down to the studio, met with us, um, and we had some amazing conversations. Now, this guy is one of the best trainers around. He's known as the glute guy, the butt guy. He's popularized and invented, this is according to him, and I actually believe him, the uh, hip thrust exercise, and he's an expert on developing glutes. This guy's also a scientist. He's a PhD in sports science from uh, AUT University. Um, he's also got a master's degree from Arizona State University. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist from the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Uh, he's the author of Glute Lab. That's a book all about developing your butt. He also co-authored Bodyweight Strength Training Anatomy, the founder of the Glute Lab. This is his facility where he trains people. And he says he's the shaper of thousands of better butts worldwide. He has the best pics. He probably has the best uh, pictures ever on his phone from clients sent to him. He also has an awesome eyebrow ring. We loved it, Brett. Anyway, this guy's really, really smart Super dude. Super hip. Really cool guy. We consider him one of the foremost authorities on just exercise in general, but definitely on how to develop uh, better glutes, uh, which is important for athletes, but also if you want to look awesome like Justin. Justin's got amazing yeah. glutes. Now, here's the deal. You can go to Brett Contreras' website. It's brettcontreras.com. You can also find him on Instagram. He has a great Instagram page, at Brett Contreras, number one. So it's the number one, not number and then one, but one. Um, of course, I told you about his book. Um, so we think you're going to enjoy this episode where we talk all about exercise, training, and of course, developing the glutes. Before the episode starts, though, I want to remind everybody that this month, MAPS performance is 50% off. This is our functional training performance-based workout program. It's a different workout than what you're used to. If you're bored with the traditional workouts and you want to go to the gym and try different stuff, work on your mobility, move better, work on full-spectrum athletic performance, which then contributes to better muscle gain, better fat loss, then get MAPS Performance, especially right now because it's half off. Here's what you do to get the discount. Go to mapsgreen.com and use the code GREEN50. That's G-R-E-E-N-5-0. No space for the discount. Right before we got on air, we were having we were getting caught up with you, Brett, and you were starting to kind of share your story. And I actually don't know this part of you. I've followed your your content for quite some time. Um, I know you're good friends with Lane. Lane's a good buddy of ours. But I didn't know kind of how you got into this space, and you were starting to tell me that you were a math teacher. So how do you transition um, from being a math teacher to yeah. one know, plus one equals glutes? To shaping asses <laughs> for the rest of your life. How did that happen? So I was – all right. While I was a teacher, I was so productive. Like I, the students would make fun of me for how fast I walked, but I – and I would have like – if I could have, I'd always go to the counselor. I'd go, can you give me as many TAs as possible? I'd have two TAs for every period. So they were my helpers because I wanted to spend every spare minute I had reading about fitness. That was my hobby. I would read Teen Nation and all the websites. Well, back then the website, like web, the web, like before that I read all muscle mags yeah. and I read all of them every month, but I never had this... When the internet came around, <laughs> then you had all this new information, 
Like all I knew was bodybuilding. So now I'm, I'm learning from strength coaches and power lifters and people that I didn't learn from before. So I would spend my whole prep period and lunch period reading about strength and conditioning. But it was just as a lifter. I never planned on doing anything with it. How um, old are you right now at this time in your life? I'm 43 right now. Back then I was 24 when I first mm. started teaching. Okay? Yeah, because you went to school, you got your master's, yeah. then you start off teaching. Meanwhile, you're reading all this stuff as a hobby. As a hobby and doing some personal training on the side, but okay. not really making a lot of money from it. And then I got, during my master's program, my I turned in a project. She the, the professor let us do it on anything we wanted. So I picked exercise science. I didn't have to do it on math. And she's, anyway, I turned it in. She says, Brett, I need to, you know, she called me. Like, what professor ever calls you on the phone? Right. She, she called me up. She says, life is too short to waste uh, uh you have to pursue your passion i have no doubt you're a good math teacher but you really need to go into strength and conditioning uh you you have your you're gonna have your master's degree soon i can hook you up with community college if you want to be a professor but you really need to do this and then i couldn't stop thinking about this and then around that same time a teacher friend of mine we were really close and she comes into my room after school and she's like she's like hey brett would you go to this wedding with me? This guy I have a crush on, I want to make him jealous and you're the perfect guy to do so. And I'm like, why, <laughs> it's a good is, motivator. Yeah, why is that? She's like, well, you know, you're tall, you're athletic, you're a decent looking guy, you're funny, you're smart. Come to think about it, your only flaw is you don't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Arizona is like 50, back then it was, I don't know if it still is, but it was like 50th out of 50 states in state funding for education. I mean, I only made... Back then, 29000 I start out at. Then after six years of teaching and a master's plus 24 credits, I was I was making uh, 36000 And if you worked 30 years and got your PhD, you topped out at 59000 in Scottsdale School District back then. And I'm like, wow. the most I can hope for is not even to make sixty grand. Hmm. I need to do something. So the wheels started turning. And then my mom had, had watched that you know, that Field of Dreams movie with Kevin Costner mm -hmm. many times. And she's like, mm. kept telling me, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and uh, so I decided I, I had, and here's the thing. Which applies to glutes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good, good <laughs> you build them and then they come. I'm, <laughs> I'm still very frugal. Like I don't spend much. Um, and because the only things I ever want are, I don't care about cars I don't wear fancy clothes. I don't need to eat at fancy restaurants, but I, I love strength training equipment. And, uh, oh, you so, and Sal would be best friends then. Yeah. Sounds just like him. Yeah. So yeah. I had saved, so I didn't even, even making such low money, I still had saved up like 20 grand. So I put in this big order with elite FTS and bought like all this cool stuff for my garage gym, but it was so cluttered. I only, I had, I actually had room for a whole gym if I expanded so I opened up a gym in Scottsdale, and at that same time, that's when I invented the barbell hip thrust. And I was watching UFC fights. This was October 10th, 2006. It was Tito Ortiz versus Ken Shamrock. Great fight. Uh, it was their third fight, and I didn't care who won. I just wanted, I didn't want it to end so quickly. I didn't want one person just to be embarrassed. And Tito quickly uh, gets in uh, Ken's uh, guard and is just... Ground, and, ground and pounding him, yeah. and, and I'm like, man, like you should be trying to do something. Like buck, buck your hips, trying to escape. 
I'm like, I wonder if there'd be an exercise that could strengthen that motion. And I'm like, you can't, I can't be like, Hey Sal, can you straddle me? I'm going to bust out 50 reps. Yeah. You know? I mean, you can say that, I mean, but I'll yeah, say no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll film it if you guys want to do it. Don't lie. It's, you, uh, would cons- you would consider it. It's all. a viral potential there. I mean, what if we were alone? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not the Bucky. The I'm, I'm the Bucker. Oh, okay. is, that, yeah, yeah. is that true? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't know about that. So I was like, well, you could, you need to add load. And then, but also yeah. it's, a, I done yeah, gl- glute bridges were popular at the time. Like, all the T-Nation guys were doing it. You know, Eric Cressy, Mike Robertson, mm-hmm. um, Mike Boyle, uh, Mark Verstegen. Uh, Martin Rooney was doing glute activation with his pro football players. Uh, they, Everyone was talking about it. And I would do them. But I'm more of a bodybuilder at heart. I'm like, why would I just do 10 of these when I could do 100? You know, I want it to be hard. I want it to be heavy or rep to failure but i don't want to do i hate high reps so wait a second at that time the all the names that you just dropped which are all incredible uh, coaches they're using it more like a glute activation to kind of prime the glutes they're not heavy loading they're doing just glute bridges basically so that the the science or the the guys that are on it understand the value of it but not to the point of loading it like we're not for using it more of a nice an accessory lift it's no it's l- low load glute activation and the point, because if you fatigue the muscles, then you perform worse. So let's say you could do 100, like all of us could probably do 100 glute bridges. Right, they're using it to. as a primer, right? They're you basically- do it for sets of 10 or something before the workout to prime the muscle and right. theoretically get more performance. The research is kind of mixed on that. I think it depends on the situation. But anyway, uh, a lot of people swear by it, especially powerlifters. They swear they feel their hips feel better when they do some glute activation mm-hmm. before they squat. But um. Anyway, I had tried those movements and I liked them just like cable pull throughs. I remember trying those, uh, but I, I, I'd put on the stack and I'm like, God, I could do 30 of these. I need more weight. But it, and I tried pinning an extra plate on there and I, I'm leaning forward so much and it just didn't feel right. But I'm like, I like that end range glute squeeze that you get. So, uh, and let me backtrack. The reason I got obsessed with glute training was because I had none. Like my back went right into my legs. And so like a frog uh, in suspenders. Like a frog in suspenders. So <laughs> were people making funny or something? Yeah. So in, in high school, you know, you go you're going through puberty and, and you're getting interested in women. And I remember seeing these three girls I had a crush on. They're like, let's go watch football practice. I love watching the guys in their football uniforms. I love staring at their butts. And I'm like, oh great. If that's important. I'm to fucked. girls, then yeah. <laughs> so instead of I make, was the same way, bro. I feel you. So uh, I, instead of making a lot of money, you developed your glutes. <laughs> yeah. I got some bad news for you. <laughs> I, they weren't talking about money in high school. Yeah, they, yeah, they're yeah. not quite gold yeah, diggers yet. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm like, great. I'm going to be a virgin for life unless I figure out how to. And I remember going. It was funny because I remember thinking, okay, I do push-ups for my pecs. And like bench press, and, and I have those lines that started, you know. I do curls for my biceps. I wish there were something for my glutes that I could do because no one talked about glutes back then. Like bodybuilders don't have a glute day. You're right. And it was just, you. in fact, Vince Gironda popularized it where like you didn't want your glutes to grow. You you do. To curate, he, he would say because it helps with the V taper. Yeah. In fact, he banned squats. Yeah. In and his they gyms. do like frog squats, they yeah. do like narrow stance duck type it's all quad stuff yeah like trying to make it more like hack squats and stuff like that heels elevated Mm -hmm. and up on your toes and stuff so i think a lot of bodybuilders it's just some weird 
tradition. They don't talk about glutes much. So, so I knew that like squats and deadlifts build your glutes, but I didn't feel them as a 16, 17, 18 year old kid. I just folded like an, I mean, I'm tall. I didn't have good. Were you lanky at the time? Lanky. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel them working that well. And, uh, had, had hip thrust been around, I think I could have fast forward my glute development a lot. But, uh, I remember thinking like, I wish there was an exercise that really focused on glutes that I could do like a push up where I really felt my glutes working. But anyway, that, and then also I was playing golf and my sister's boyfriend, we're on the ninth hole. I'm about to swing. And he's like, you know, Brett, I'm looking at you and your, your back goes right into your legs. It's, it's like you're missing the gluteal muscles. And he, he got all scientific. It's funny. He was not a scientific <laughs> man, but he's like, most people have a protuberance there and you have nothing. It just, it's like a stick <laughs> man. And I'm no, like, but Brett, he's just yeah. hitting you. He's just fucking hitting you in your soft spot. That's what I was like. Jeez. Especially scientifically. Man, <laughs> yeah, come on guy. You wouldn't do that. Like you wouldn't do that with, uh, I don't know. I'm like, you know, if someone had a small penis, would you be like, yeah. that is crazy. I'm hey. looking at it. it is so I'm like trying to see it, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's it's Where so it? minuscule. It's crazy. It's <laughs> it barely. What a dick. Is it hiding? Yeah. Like, it barely protrudes explain. away from you. That probably lit the fire though, I guess. Huh? Do you, hey, do you, yeah, that was all it yeah. took. Do you send them like glute shots and stuff? Because now, now you're like, you got a oh, big yeah. ass now. Oh, yeah. That was the first no, thing I noticed I, when you walked in the door. Do you, you send pictures of them? Your ass now? <laughs> hey, take a no, look at this. Actually, thank you. Yeah. I said you inadvertently. What's the post for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I became like really into glutes. And so then when I ordered all the elite FTS equipment, you know, because I was following my my big influencers back then were Louis Simmons, Dave Tate, mm -hmm. Jim Wendler, Joe DeFranco, um, you know, uh, Jason Fruge, all these, Zach Evanach, all these guys who had gyms and, and were like <laughs> badasses themselves, like yeah. lifted heavy and trained a lot of people. And Smart so, guys too. Yeah. And so I bought, the equipment that I bought was all like this power, this like power rack slash platform with every bell and whistle that you could ever want, like all the attachments mm -hmm. and then all these specialty bars and a 45-degree hyper, a reverse hyper, a glute ham developer, a prowler. Um, so I had all this awesome glute training equipment. When I thought of the hip thrust, I didn't think of putting a barbell in your lap right away. I thought of putting a dip belt underneath you suspended with weights and putting your feet way up high. Sure. And mm -hmm. uh, it mm -hmm. took a while to go, oh, God, you could just do that off a bench. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, so it seems so obvious. But here's an, another side note. Nowadays, whenever I say I invented the barbell hip thrust, it's so weird. It's the same thing as like <clears throat> later today, I'll have 800,000 followers on Instagram. I have 799 right now. Mm -hmm. And if I post on my feed, thank you guys so much, 800,000. This is so amazing. I'm so humbled. Like, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I will lose like 2,000 followers. So then it's awkward because I'm like, thank you for 800. And then it's like, you look and it's <laughs> thanks. So oh, no. Ugly. Yeah, I'll be back. So I don't post that anymore. It's weird. It's like if you draw attention to it, people unfollow you. Hmm. And if I say I invented the barbell hip thrust, all these people go crazy. And they're, I mean, I just. Like they disagree like, with you? Like they want to claim it or. So they say it's been done since the 60s. My dad's been doing this since, since, since the 1960s. And I always say, that's amazing. I'm actually a strength and conditioning historian. I study the history. So if this was being done, I want to tell people about it. 
Do you have any picture or any video from prior to 2006? Because I want to spread the word. I'll tell all my platforms and they always go, no, we weren't carrying around cameras. And I'm like, but you can find any black and white picture of dips, bench press, incline press, military yeah. at press. The very least, press. At yeah. the very, yeah. very, very least, you popularized nobody it. Yeah. talked about it. Nobody popularized it at the very, very least. But look, I'm, I'm a historian when it comes to fitness too. And, and you're right. I never saw anybody do a hip thrust with the barbell for hypertrophy. No. They were doing lots of hip bridges. Oh, you see yeah. it everywhere now. It's, now. it's all over the place. Yeah, now you see it all over the place. I don't know if you knew this, but I invented curls. Yeah, I was the first guy. <laughs> Nobody did curls before. Show it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I would love to, I mean, I wouldn't feel bad being like, no way they were actually doing yeah. this in, you know, India in the you know, 1920s yeah. or whatever. Because I'd still be credited for popularizing mm -hmm. it. But I'm pretty confident that no one will find a picture or video because before... I ever started writing articles for like teenage. You probably were searching and researching. I would well, have. Been. I searched for okay. It doesn't sound like a lot, but a whole week of my life, but like twelve hours a day, I searched Google. I searched. I read through every one of my, you know, like Zatsyorsky and Sif and mm -hmm. Verkoshansky and all those Russian texts and Google. Like I'd go well, into even forums. even 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 Olympic lifters and power lifters. You found no evidence. No, I found no evidence. So wow. I'm pretty confident. Maybe they will. did it, but they just didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah, <laughs> they were embarrassed. So I was just the first guy comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> secure with yourself. Do you, secure. Fuck it, I'm gonna put this out. It's too good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find now that when you like walk around and stuff, people just stare at your butt because you're the glute guy? Do you feel a little I, bit? Well, like, here's oh, shit. the thing. I don't have. I mean. Here's what I try to convey to people: like so much of this is genetics, right. and. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these girls with the greatest butts, you, you never know. Maybe they have the Brazilian butt lift or something, but also some of them just had it. Don't even have to do much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I on, on when I give seminars, I always show Jen Selter and I show her workout that was like on bodybuilding.com. Like they tagged her. So yeah. if it was what wrong. was it? Dog peas and leg extensions? Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, it's, when I do it, it's hilarious because. Like two of the exercises are hip flexion. They're like kicks, like squat and kick <laughs> and like chair kicks. Like wow. that's hip flexion, not hip extension. But yeah. it's like 10, 10 reps, two, like one set of 10 with like yeah. eight exercises. It's, it's basically a, a low load glute activation workout. Yeah, yeah. So, do you, so you, do you have a girlfriend now, wife? No. Nothing. Okay. No, I was going to say I because- I have a girlfriend, but not a wife. Okay. Yet. So you have a girlfriend. So is it, is it awkward that you have like probably 10,000 ass pictures on your phone i'm sure that your athletes send you their ass pics all the time yeah well before I think and after it takes a strong woman to date me because yeah. well i think it takes a strong woman to date any trainer i've always said that uh, yeah, if yeah, you're yeah, a yeah. trainer and you're around you're going to be around women but i can just imagine this guy's phone getting lit up with a great <laughs> right. look at my look at look my progress, progress. Yeah. yeah yeah it's in it's in a thong you know what i mean or whatever yeah. <laughs> well, what's funny is i mean even people will you know especially like like there's certain countries where they it just has a lot of creepy dudes that write you that are like, how do you not have an erection all day long yeah. <laughs> at your glute lab? Or how do you, wow. yeah. And, and like, I imagine if you were a bouncer at a strip club, you just become immune no. to it. Yeah, like, numb to it. I see this all day long. That's I've been training the best butts for a lot of years now and yeah. it doesn't even phase me. And uh, honestly, um, you, you you start seeing a lot of the top, like a lot of the a lot of uh, influencers who have huge followings, men and women. They're so 
egotistical and uh, it's so ugh. there's no substance to him. It's such a turnoff. I just assume, you know, that, and then I meet someone, for example, Lauren Simpson. I follow her. She's from Australia. I met mm-hmm. her. She's so, so smiling and so happy and genuine and real. And it's like, oh, this breath of fresh air. But I, I assume that they're... Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, that was one of the things that we found when we first got into the space, because by no means were any of us in any sort of celebrities or in uh, big on any other platforms. Like It just kind of organically grew for us. And as the show grew, we started to get more and more of these people that came on that had a million followers or 400,000. Mm-hmm. And I would I remember when we first started, we were so excited to, to meet some of these people that much influence, and they've grown their page and their network that much. And a lot of times, they're idiots. Uh, they're they're <laughs> well. That's a that's a way, that's one way to put it. Yeah. A lot of times, they're uh, nothing like what's being presented. And I, we actually uh, started, you know, talking about stay authentic. We actually trademarked that a couple of years back because we thought that that would be uh, something that you're going to hear more and more of uh, over the course of the next four or five years. Because we're we're learning this ourselves just the last couple of years, and I think that we're going to see this kind of pendulum swing of these people that get so much. Uh, uh, respect and credibility just because they have 400,000 followers because their body was, you're starting to, people are starting to figure out that they're not all what they present online. And I think that's going to be an interesting swing that we're going to see because when we first got in the space, man, the people that are reaching the millions of people aren't the best, you know, mm-hmm. commu- or aren't the best communicating the best information out there, which is a lot of the motivation that we had to start this podcast was to highlight people like yourself, like the Lane Nortons, a lot of the names that you were name dropping earlier. Joe DeFranco. Yeah, Joe DeFranco's, Jay's, like people putting out really good information, but nobody knows because they're not the best at Instagram. You know, they're the best at po- posting p- photos that get attention, you know? I mean, I've seen, uh, it's it's kind of sad. Like I've seen all my, um, like the people I kind of idolized and they didn't embrace Instagram. And when it first came out, I didn't want to do Instagram. I mean, I waited a while, but it was my twin brother who told me, Brett, you got to get on Instagram. And I'm like, Joel, I don't do social media for fun. Like, I'm a businessman, and I do Facebook, I do Twitter, I do YouTube, I blog, I have a newsletter. That's it. Mm. And if Instagram could make me money, I would do it, but you can't link things. And he's like, just trust me, it's the wave of the future. And I'm like, and it's so crazy because a few years later, I abandoned I don't do Facebook. I don't do Twitter. Don't do YouTube. Don't blog. Don't. Ha- I think I send a newsletter out once every couple months now. I need to. I need to get back into that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm doing so well on Instagram. It's like my main. And then and now I'm nervous. <laughs> what if the algorithms change? I'm screwed. <laughs> but that's a reminder of why I think you got to be a little bit older. Like as I mentioned, I'm 43. You got to have some perspective. So I lived through the housing market crash of 2007-ish or whenever that was when when I just opened up my gym, my gym was killing it. And uh, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be making six figures in in like two more months. And then the housing market crashed and all my clients were like, Brett, this is the best part of my day. It's the only thing I look forward to, but I have to, my, my husband just lost his job. Our kid is, we're trying to put him through school, college. I have to quit. I'd be like, I totally understand. But through no fault of my own, the whole plaza went under at that time. And I I was forced to figure something else out. And then when Facebook's algorithms change, I remember going, what is going on? Like I used to get, I'd post my blog 
a blog post onto you know onto Facebook, choose the thumbnail, you'd get like two thousand likes and five hundred shares, and then all of a sudden you're getting like, you know, three hundred likes and thirty shares, and I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. So, I I know they were. I could have figured something out and started advertising there, but I, it was like an ego thing. I don't want to advertise. I, I liked that before they tweaked that you could. And what I liked back then is as a scientist, I had power. If someone was saying some BS, I could write a blog post to counter them and it would go viral through, through just stay out of it. And it goes viral because people want to know that. But then after they tweaked with things. And so I always know now nothing is forever. <laughs> things will change five years from now. Yeah. Things will be different. And that's why you got to stay humble because yeah, take away everyone's Instagram followers. And <laughs> well, they, now speaking to, I, I want to kind of jump in. You're, you're talking about like science. I want to get into the science. Like you found this new way to develop your glutes, right? Did you immediately then take that and pit it up against the old squat and, and, and kind of like see, uh, you know, which one had the most effect and, and, you know, what, what sort of results were you seeing? So looking back now that I'm a better scientist, and by the way, I should mention that still to this day, I consider myself a lifter first, then a personal trainer, then a scientist, but I love science. I always have, even as a kid looking back, you, you can always look back at the things I did wrong or things I should have done better. What I did was I was I, I decided, okay, I'm going to start blog blogging, all right? I'm going to start writing articles like crazy, but I have no revenue coming in. You know, I need to make some money. So the only thing I did is I wrote an, an ebook, and that was the my only revenue source. And it, you, I never even promote, I don't think I ever promoted it on social media. It was just in the corner of my blog. And this was 2000, 2009. So I wrote this ebook and I had all these theories as to which exercises grew your glutes the best and which, you know, the, like which categories. And I, I wanted to, all of a sudden it occurred to me, like I could test this, I could learn EMG. And coincidentally, Naraxon's headquarters, Naraxon makes EMG equipment. They just so happened to be a mile away from me where I lived. Like mm -hmm. out of everywhere in the world, they were in Scottsdale right where I lived. So I went to them. I'm like, can you teach me how to do this? They're like, yeah, no problem. And they, they taught me that they're different now. The company's very different now, but back then they just trained me for free and I learned how to do it. And I spent like three months of my life. <laughs> well, like pretty much when, when the, when my clients were done for the day, I'd lock the doors, strip down to my underwear, <laughs> throw on electrodes and go ahead and have a party. Yeah. <laughs> and have a party. And I, I learned so Seems much like at that last time. Weekend. However, it's funny because I always, you know how the, you talked about the pendulum swing. Yeah. So I started posting a lot about EMG and my friend Brad Schoenfeld did too. And then I think this pendulum swung the other way. And one of them was my intern, Andrew Vygotsky. He wrote a couple, published a couple of articles talking about how EMG does not infer increased motor unit recruitment. It does not infer hypertrophy. Um, and I, 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 I was on those papers with him and I agree with it, but I also think people, then you see people go, EMG doesn't mean anything. It's stupid. And I'm just like, no, it's, I was just going to ask you but, about that actually, because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I remember reading the first EMG, uh, I think it was a book. I think it was called, uh, I think it was called magnet to muscle or something like that. I remember what the, what the title of it was a long time ago and I can't even find it anymore. Wait, Matt, that might've been, uh, 
Was that with a, that might have been MRI with per tesh or something like that? I don't remember. It was I really, activation, but it was with MRI. Something like that. It was a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was in the 90s. Per tesh, okay. yeah. I was a kid. I was like yeah, yeah. in my teens. And it would say some things about certain exercises like uh, decline bench press activates the upper chest more than incline pet press or reverse you know, grip. Bench. And I remember thinking like, this doesn't make sense at all, uh, especially when you look at the, the thousands of anecdotes and the years and years and years of people training and then the experience you have when you train that I don't think that's true. When I do this exercise, I see where I develop. So what does EMG then show if it doesn't necessarily show motor you know you know motor recruitment or 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 well, hypertrophy emg is a, a voltage meter it's just measuring the electrical juice okay. to the muscles but what you just said is very important because what i all right it's just like i don't like when coaches are like screw the science i am the science i am the research right. no no you're not like <laughs> when one of our clients sees good results it could be from what we think it is but we're not it's not a controlled setting it could right. also be I see that a lot with powerlifters. Well, there's a lot so of like individual variants. When I, when I started doing, you know, one arm rows, my deadlift went up. But also, you also start doing tran and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you just got more consistent all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> You're not controlling variables, you know. So, um, uh, uh, that's why research is important. But I, I think it's even more egregious because scientists are supposed to know better when they. Act like the only evidence on this planet is published research. Oh, beautiful. I Glad hate you it. Said that. And mm -hmm. it's like, mm -hmm. that assumes that everything's been researched. And in in, in sports science, in, in strength training science, the funding goes to things that are endangering lives, you know? Sure. Diabetes, obesity, things like that. We don't get much funding. It's And, and also, so we have these low sample sizes. We mm -hmm. have... You also, short studies and you have a short, you have a little term. bit of a self selection bias you got you know th you know you know 10 college aged males you know or yeah, whatever it's, it's cuz that's the subjects you get that's at a right. university right. a lot of times it's your if you're if you're in a phd cohort it's your five friends it's your nine <laughs> yeah. friends and you all do each other's studies with each other and um i remember <laughs> i mean the, the, some of the best science came out of uh the former soviet union when right. the uh, you know, the Iron Curtain fell because they they funded a lot of studies on exercise and what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, but and, that that was like they really cared about winning Olympic. Yes, <laughs> you right. know, they're motivated. They motivated, and so. But you take everything with a grain of salt, like, and that that's God. I wish I had in my book. I have this. Uh, I wish I had it in front of me because um, I talk about like. The different forms of like how you would figure out if an exercise is good. Here are the different ways. Okay, you can you can uh, do a bunch of sets and see where you're sore the next day. You can do 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 some high reps and see where you feel the burn and get a pump. You can uh, you can uh, palpate while someone's doing it. See what muscles get the hardest. You can, and like throughout the range of motion where mm -hmm. sometimes things shift and stuff, you can uh, perform EMG to get like a mathematical quantity of how much activation. And then there's also, a, you can use things like ultrasound, MRI, things like that uh, to also get kind of like measures of activation or muscle thickness changes. But anyway, you can kind of perform a functional analysis where you analyze the movement and look at the direction of the fibers and the attachment points and see logically would this, you know, 
and, and and then and then you can talk to other coaches and lifters and get their feedback of what they think, what they feel, what they've noticed, and then finally you have like per, tr- longitudinal training studies where mm-hmm. this was done for twelve weeks. Here's the effects that it had on these things. But really, what you want to do is use all those. You, you never abandon how you what. what you're thinking like a scientist there because you're like decline. I don't think it works more upper pecs. Mm-hmm. And that depends on the study, by the way. Sure. So, the, But back then they didn't have, like when you read that. Yeah, the, the, the MRI showed yeah. activation of upper chest was higher in a right. decline. But sometimes you can get, uh, with EMG, and that's, that's a pitfall. It doesn't show you the stretch. <laughs> So like, uh, yeah, there's a right. There's a lot of factors that go yeah. into, uh, and you so know, that's you why s- with EMG it would be effective if you look at similar range of motion. Like, let's say you did a lat pull down where your hands were close together. You have this huge arc of motion, and you go from fully out uh, you know, stretched overhead to touching the top of your chest, mm-hmm. and then you do really really wide grip where it's a it's you Short know going to be half the range of motion, right? But it might activate the lats more. But what grows your lats? Well, ultimately, what we want to know is what grows your lats more. And I've never seen a longitudinal study on that. So right. mm. we have EMG to give us clues. But then we have to say, well, are all things controlled? And we're not controlling. And that's a lot of things in the literature like that. In fact, when I defended my thesis, God, I had this uh, total hater on my <laughs> reviewing my my PhD, I thought I wasn't going to get it. Two of them were like, this is the best, one of the best theses I've ever seen. And this other was like, God, he just hated my work. He said, there's nothing novel about this. And I'm like, (laughs) what? It's, it's looking at the hip thrust. It's the first evidence on the hip thrust. It's exploring the force vector hypothesis. I also thought of a new way to use a force plate where you stand on it and push against a wall to measure horizontal forces, not just vertical forces in the case of like a isometric mid thigh pull so it's it's way more novel than like i mean obviously i'm biased but it's one of the most novel phds i've (laughs) anyway he was saying why didn't you we had this big argument and my my supervisor was like it was amazing watching you duel it was like two men with swords but i can't (laughs) i had to be very respectful and but he was saying you should have normalized the hip range of motion between a squat and a hip thrust and i'm like and he was saying all these things. And I'm like, okay, that's the kind of things that coaches read it. And they're like, that's stupid because you, you should do a deep squat. That's the way people do it. You know, if I would have done a partial squat, everyone would have been pissed. Oh, uh, roasted you, it. Yeah. They don't, you don't, you do it. You want ecological validity. So you do it how the first study, in my opinion, should always be how it's done in the gym. Yes. In fact, mm-hmm. here's what I found during my, my studies. The hip thrust, uh, it, it's compared to a squat okay so it's it's funny so and and this is a good example for the listeners okay of different types of evidence if you look at my emg study uh from my thesis that one is actually published in the journal of applied biomechanics you would come you would say the hip thrust is the superior exercise out of the two because well what what muscles did i look at upper glute upper glutes lower glutes uh hamstrings or biceps femoris vastus lateralis so quads quads hammies and glutes okay and it showed that quad activity was actually pretty similar in to a squat uh it was the squat was superior but not significantly and then hamstring and glute activity was superior in a hip thrust um 
but then again, uh, uh, would it be better for quad hypertrophy? No, it's mo mo mostly it's like a quasi isometric. The knee doesn't move through much range right. of motion, so the mm -hmm. squat will build the quads much better. We don't have a training study for that, but what we know as lifters, the quad, the, mm -hmm. the squats would be better for the quads. Now the, but then we looked at another study. I looked at used motion capture and force plate, and we found that the the squat utilized more range of motion and also way more eccentric force so what people do in a hip thrust is they come up and then they kind of like gravity come yeah you know mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. when they touch down they'll just kind of like a deadlift where you just let it gravity do most of it uh when you take out the the momentum like you take out the inertia with a squat you're only using 10 percent less force on the way down compared to the way up in a hip thrust you're only using a third of the eccentric force compared mm. to the concentric force. So because of the low eccentric component in this in the hip thrust, it got lower lower total power, impulse, all these things, um, unless you separate into its concentric and eccentric sure. constituents. But then if you looked at that study, you'd be like, wow, the squat is markedly superior. Mm -hmm. It also takes longer to perform a repetition because of the longer range of motion so and the slower lowering. Mm -hmm. So you get more time under tension. So you look at that paper and you're like, oh, okay, the squat is better. So if it was EMG, you'd say the hip thrust is better. Well, ultimately, those are called mechanistic studies. They're they're um, cross-sectional studies. They're, they're they're quick. I like these studies because I geek out over the mechanisms and the biomechanics. But ultimately, you need a training study then, and we need a training study looking at hypertrophy. Right now, we can just speculate. I would take the hip thrust. Other people might take the squat. We need one of those to take place. The problem with hypertrophy studies is... Um, oh, gosh, you need a big sample. You need genetics you and need diet. You need a big sample, but also, like, people will say, okay, glute girth, like tape measure, you could just gain fat, and that would show increased totally. girth. You can use ultrasound is really hard for the glutes. For certain muscles, like the biceps, it's like you see... Because I bought an ultrasound machine. You see, like, fat muscle, fat bone, or, like, sorry, fat muscle, bone. You can see the fascia. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is how thick the muscle is. You just measure it with the glutes. There's no bone underneath. You're looking at fascial borders and it's some people it's really hard to yeah. detect. So y with MRI is what you really need. MRIs run about 1.5 million. Like I want to buy an MRI machine one day, but I got to save a lot of money. Yeah. For it. You, That's for down the road. You know what I like about you, besides your eyebrow piercing, piercing <laughs> is, My favorite uh, is that you're, you, you, you're a trainer. You sound like a trainer. And the reason why I say that is, uh, as a trainer, oftentimes you go with the literature and science, and other times you go with what actually happens in the real world. And so you'll see a study and you'll be like, okay, that's nice. I can see, like, for example, I had a debate with Lane about artificial sweeteners, and he talks about artificial sweeteners are great to help people lose weight. And as well, the studies show they don't help at all. It's probably because people replace them with other foods, which is why I don't recommend them. And he goes, well, when they're controlled, and I said, the average person doesn't track everything, which is in which case... And that's just my experience as a trainer. I know in the real world, you can show me all the studies you want. In the real world, you have someone just replace their sugary sodas and they end up filling it with something else, which is why I don't well, use and, it. And, 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 and you're, you know, when it comes to, to training and exercise, there's a lot of muscle building wisdom that's out there that we yet still have yet to support with science. Here's a good one. It's common knowledge, I would say, or common wisdom that free weights, for the most part, for most people, build more muscle mass than machines. 
studies show that when you talk about activation, all that stuff, that shouldn't be true. Do you, do you have any theories as to why that may be, or do you even agree with that in the, in the first place? Oh, that's such a good question. So, but real quick, I do want to finish off uh, what I was. So the let me finish that, and then I'll. Yeah. This is an important question to me. So I, I, it's one of my passions. So I want to get to this. Okay. But with my PhD, the 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 final study, well, two studies. I did a case study looking at a pair of twins, and then I also did a a study using rugby players, and these showed differential functional like performance effects from the squat and the hip thrust. The squat appears to be better at developing your vertical jump and your squat strength, whereas the hip thrust appears to be better at horizontal pushing strength, mm. like pushing people forward, and also horizontal jump and sprinting. Mm, interesting. That makes sense. And so any logical person would go, okay, you should probably do them both. And it's probably because the squat strengthens the quads more and deep ranges of hip flexion, whereas the hip thrust strengthens more end range hip extension. Uh, so you need both to kind of develop the full full spectrum glute strains totally. or whatever. But anyway, so that's what's cool is like you had, I had the EMG, I had the force plate, I had the twin case study, and then I had the, the, the training study. Even then, that's just on rug, adolescent male rugby players. Does that apply to, so you need, in a perfect world, we'd have 50 studies on every topic, like you just asked about free weights versus machines. We'd have 50 studies looking at different types of machines, looking at uh, different populations, looking mm -hmm. at elderly, looking at bodybuilders, looking at young, right? and uh, men, women, you know, d different anthropometries. And you'd even have review papers and meta-analyses on it to give us real good guidelines. We rarely ever have that. And so here's what I'll say about machines. I used I grew up as in a, as a strength coach okay I have my CSCS I call myself a strength coach even though I think really to be a strength coach you should be a strength coach for a team mm -hmm. <laughs> we do, I just like to call myself that cuz personal trainer gets boring but yeah. now now I'm more proud to be a personal trainer mm -hmm. but I think for a while you wanted to be more than that and I grew up in that world free weights are best now I kind of think that it's a, a a bias that we have because we our gyms are mostly free weight and we don't want to think that we could because the, the machines cost like three to five grand a pop and no one has a space and you don't want to spend, I mean, you have to spend an extra hundred grand and have this giant facility. So you want to think you're doing your clients the best service. Here's the thing. There's different types of machines. Number one, the leg extension. Obviously, if you just did leg extensions and, and another group did squats, the squat is going to greatly out, they're going to grow more quad they're also going to have more performance benefits. Now, here's what people, a lot of people don't know. The leg extension is better at activating the rectus femoris. When you look at certain two joint muscles like the rectus femoris, uh, the hamstrings, during a squat, the rectus femoris would create hip flexion, but you're trying to do hip extension. Mm -hmm. The hamstrings would create knee flexion, but you're trying to create knee extension. So the brain knows this and only activates the muscle at around 20% of maximum capacity. It would be foolish of the brain to say, I'm going to turn on full juice to my rec fem and my hamstrings because you'd, you'd be playing tug of war. The quads would be playing tug of war sure. with the hammies. So you that's why the leg extension is valuable. It's also valuable for higher reps. So some people like warming up with them. So I love, I love all, I'm a biomechanics geek. I love all tools. But free weights, obviously, like my book that I just wrote, it's just almost mm -hmm. all free weights. 
Now, you guys have a lever squat out there mm-hmm. in, in your facility that I noticed, okay? I measured the EMG activity of that, and it's very similar. Here's the, here's the, so here's how, as a scientific person, here's how you generate a hypothesis. You'd say, look, on the one hand, free weights requires a little bit of stability, and like a barbell squat is stable compared to like standing on a BOSU ball or single leg, but... Uh, it does require stability, whereas the machine stabilizes it for you, okay? Um, some people kind of get fear when they do barbell squats, and, you know, especially when going super heavy or trying one more rep to failure. Uh, I make my clients fail, like rack, like in the power rack or dump the bar just so they can get used to it realize it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But initially, people are very scared of that. They don't want to push. In a machine, you're not quite as scared. You might be able to push it harder. You might feel more comfortable. You could, if you take away your bias of what you've learned, you could make a good case for either one. And we think about this. You have this stability continuum and all all the strength coaches and physical therapists, or sorry, personal trainers know that unstable surface training isn't best for building muscle. So unstable is bad, but then machines are too stable so there's a sweet spot in the middle where it's mostly here, like our barbell is the perfect amount of stability, or are we wrong? Here's the thing. All the studies will look at a squat compared to a leg press or a squat compared to a leg extension or a stiff leg deadlift versus a leg curl. I want to see studies looking at a squat compared to a plate-loaded squat, squat machine, because a plate-loaded squat machine is awesome. Yeah, no way they're sim- well, and there's no research on that, and that then I'll really form a good opinion. Well, so here, so here's a good example of why I, I, I'm just kind of reiterating what you're saying about the grain of salt thing. There was a for a long time, we were told don't wear a weight belt, uh, you know, when squatting because it it reduces the activation of the core. Then studies come out showing no, your core is activated just as much with the belt. So then everybody's like wear a belt all the time. Now I'm a personal trainer, and as a trainer, I know. It's different activation. When I'm squatting with a belt, my abs pushing are pushing out. out against the belt to create stability. When I'm squatting without the belt, it's bracing and creating a different type of stability. Which one's more applicable to real life? Obviously, squatting without a belt. So using the like the lever squat, for example, you're going to see similar activation. Still not the same. And then comparing the leg extension, if you train to utmost failure and intensity with a leg extension... It's still not going to build the quads as much as a barbell squat. Why is that? Like, why is a barbell squat? The or- barbell squat has more vastest lateralis activation. Okay. Um, and I think you can't maximize it on, it's got to be something where the knees go yeah, in so, front okay. of the toes a little bit so, okay, or, so then- or, or travel forward. And that's how you get maximum, in my opinion. Well, well then why would it? Okay. How about so this? You just use the, you, you'd really use the leg extension to build the rec fem. Right. But like with me, you can't even see my rec fem that much. Cause I'm not you know, like in bodybuilders that sure. will matter, you know? Sure. What about, what about uh, like a compound movement versus an isolation movement? Like why would a, uh, a fly, uh, uh, not build my pecs as much as a bench press, for example. Um, when, and if, when I could stress the pecs, yeah, yeah. Maximally, what is it about compound movements well, that make? Well, would it be CNS? I mean, where does the CNS come into play here as the value that you get from training yeah, that? I think the reason why free weights work so well or compound movements work so well mm-hmm. is because because I've thought a lot about this. Like, what if you had one group? One group does mostly compounds, 
and then another group does the same amount of volume, the same, well, it would be hard. You almost need more volume because you need a single joint movement to make up for every, sure. but they just did single joint movements working the same muscle groups. The thing is the compounds work so many additional muscles right, in one You're, shot. In one shot. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think you, you forget about that. Think also, about a deadlift. How many, yeah. like I remember putting uh, electrodes on my lats. I mean, I don't feel like. I did a lat workout after my deadlifts. I don't like, not like when I do deadlifting or, built, deadlifting built my back more than anything else yeah, in my career. But they got sky high. Like they got yeah. like mm -hmm. almost maximal with deadlifts. So then think about all the traps, the rhomboids, the, you, there's so many muscles that get worked. There's some kind of irradiation effect then if you're going to get a louder signal from more muscles involved, is that going to like affect like the overall growth? I don't think so. Um, uh, like Stu Phillips, this researcher did a good job of showing, for example, that you can do, uh, like say you, say you have leg press versus leg extensions, the leg press will, because it's more compound generates a higher testosterone and growth hormone sure. response, but it doesn't affect the, we used to always say this back. You probably, you, you guys probably said it to people and I did, <laughs> I did it in my first gym. I had a piece of paper that. I gave to like a flyer that I gave to every person. It was like, you aren't, you want your arms to grow squat. It yeah. jacks up your yeah. testosterone yeah. growth hormone. So you grow muscle everywhere. And that's actually not true. Sure. I was bro sciencing the shit out yeah. of them. So um, <laughs> that, uh, it doesn't make the biceps grow. Yes. You have this transient increase in hormones, but it didn't make the, what about the studies with people where they have them do, uh, they'll do exercises on one arm and find obviously most of the muscle gain and strength happening in that arm, but they see a little bit on the other arm too. Yeah. The cross education effect. Yeah. And, and most of those studies are with strength, but, uh, I found one or two of them that showed hypertrophy or like less atrophy on the other side. So I think it has to do with just the, the, the loud, the louder the signal, or I, maybe I'm using the wrong terms, but I think it has to do with just how the body's activating and the way it evolved to activate, you know, the body. And by the way, I'm not making a case to say that isolation movements don't have value. I think they have a lot of value, but the body didn't evolve to move in isolation. It was move. It was evolved to move all together uh, in very efficient kind of uh, ways. And I think the body just responds overall better to that than it does to isolation. I think the best uh, approach is a combination of both. But I'll give you another example. And, you know, you could test this over and over again. You could squeeze something that measures grip strength, keep the rest of your body completely relaxed and squeeze as hard as you can. You won't squeeze as hard as when you tense up the rest of your body. It's it's like this. So you're, you're talking about irradiation that has yeah. research behind it. Um, also, what's funny with grip strength, the way you look has an effect on I don't know it. that. If you look the opposite way, your grip mm. is stronger than if you look at it. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah. So if you look away from it, you can squeeze harder. Yes. Um, I would and think that probably has to do with maybe like the neural tracts in the neck oh, wow. and things that, but you're talking about something that is well documented, your radiation. Yeah. And, but, but this is why I love biomechanics. All right, let's think about a bench press versus a fly. Mm-hmm. With the fly, you have the dumbbells overhead. You come down, you come down, you get this nice stretch. That's probably that stimulus is probably equal to you get to what you get in a bench press in terms of the bottom of the fly or mm -hmm. more. It's probably similar to what you get in a bench, and then you come up, you come up, and then once you're about halfway up, the tension, Goes the away. the moment arm diminishes, and now, like you almost shouldn't even do the top half of the movement. Then you come down. Then as a set, and this is where you need to have experience. As a set starts going on, you kind of like you find yourself 
shortening the lever. Yeah, you 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 maneuver and you you don't quite get when you do a bench press. And some people don't feel their pecs much in a bench press, sure. but uh, I always have. But anyway, when you do a bench, it's just a good exercise. And that's m- one of my problems. Like in my book that I just wrote, mm-hmm. I c- categorize exercise like horizontal hip extension versus vertical. Sure. And I say that horizontal is better for this. And the hard thing about that is really I'm talking about hip thrust because they're a good exercise. You can't just take any horizontal like a like a pull through like a band pull through. Have you ever done a banded pull through? You only feel it at the top. You feel nothing. It's, it's just at the a squeeze. It's a, yeah, just the squeeze. Yeah. It's a kind of, kind of crummy movement. So you have to just look at the exercise itself and think. I think bench press would grow the pecs better, but obviously bench press will also grow the front delts, the triceps sure. better. Sure. Overall, it's just a and, better exercise. And you're getting a way more. And then, but. It might have to do with um, like why you get more out of compounds is because the yeah, and this is what's hard. The research is really confusing on this. Is the volume research out there? I'm on a paper with my friends Brad Schoenfeld and James Krieger showing that we did up to 48 sets per week for mu- for the muscles, and they saw better results. Now there's other studies coming out showing that if you do Five to 10 sets is optimal. Doing 15 to 20 sets if you go to failure greatly diminishes your results. Right. That's what we talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's when training a failure. So it's like, how do you look at this research and how yeah. do you make well, sense of it all? I think when you do too much volume, and I don't think this was ever a I think a lot of people when I write about, because I caution people on doing too much volume and people are like, what are you talking about? Because they don't... They don't know the DMs we get from these spazzes out there that that think they should be training four hours a day, and right. and they, they don't understand that a lot of people really overdo it. Like you've got the sedentary people who need to be more active. Yeah, we and have two got, extremes. Yeah, that's exactly. Either the, and that's what's really tough to communicate for right. all of us. It's like, and we always, I always say, depends. Yeah. Depends on who I'm talking to. Am I talking to? The kid I can't ever motivate to get to the gym, or am yeah. I talking to the fitness fanatic that will do whatever yeah. I say and will go above and, and beyond? And to take it back to the fly, I, I you know I understand that the fly doesn't have much tension once you pass a certain point because you're not fighting gravity directly. Whereas with the bench press, it's continual. But in that case, then the argument would be made that a cable fly then should be just as good. But the as cable a bench press. fly doesn't get you as much in the stretch. It would depend on. Because the moment arm would be dependent upon the angle of the cables at the bottom, and you'd have it, it wouldn't be as great. So the the, the dumbbell fly would get you more tension at the bottom. The cable pec, the pec deck, well, the cable fly would get you more at the yeah. squeeze, and then theoretically a pec deck, because it it it, the torque would pass kind of through the center of the shoulder joint should be equal through the full range. The problem with that is we're not as strong. You have your internal muscle yeah. m- muscle moment arms, and that affects your the strength that you have throughout your range of motion. That's why they invented cams yeah. to kind of mimic the human strength curve and make it more See, congruent like with it. the body. But even even with cams, because that, that was interestingly a huge problem with the NSCA back in the day. You had Nautilus funding, mm-hmm. so they'd have ads in the JSCR, the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. Actually, it was I think it was the NSCA journal. And then you'd have these researchers like Mike Stone and William Kramer being like, because <laughs> Arthur Jones was the inventor of Nautilus, and he would be saying, because theoretically it makes sense, he'd be saying barbells can't make you have constant tension through right. the full range of motion. Right. Like a squat is hard at the bottom and then it's easy at the top. You can invent a machine where that has a cam 
that that makes it yeah, the sure, right manipulates tension. the strength curve. Well, did you guys ever use that strive equipment back in yep. the day? Yep. That, yeah, you could, you could uh, like change that it. leg curl. I would put like a twenty five on the top peg, mm-hmm. a forty five on the bottom peg, and a forty five, and that was like the perfect. It felt so smooth yeah. for me, and I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. But I think studies still show even when you mimic the human strength curve, you do see better results with barbell with performance. Now with with muscle mass, and, and now a new study just came out just like two weeks ago showing that a lying squat machine led to better performance benefits than barbell squats. It's the first ever to show this, and people flipped out on my friend Brad on Twitter when yeah. he posted it like because yeah. it wasn't trained subjects. But I think we need to, I think we need to be more um, chill out on machines. And let me, let me give you a yeah. case study example for me. People hate the Smith machine, okay? I actually love the Smith machine, and I remember my um, eyes opened to it when, you know, this is before the days rack, of. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we talk shit about the Smith machine. Yeah. I can't wait for this. Good, right? I love good, the okay. <laughs> So great. I remember reading, like, you know, even some of my colleagues, like Eric Cressy, was like, mm. "You basically wrote that article. The the only thing it's good for is maybe doing inverted rows or off of, or <laughs> yeah. a coat rack, but." Um, I like him. But I remember watching, uh, this was back when, I think it was a tape. I don't even think it was a DVD. It was a videotape. It was this Brent Mikesell. He was, I think, the first guy to squat 1,200 back, I don't even, this must have been like the year like 2002 maybe or something like that. Or, you know, I bought his tape and he would do his squats and then he'd do Smith Machine squats. And so I was like, huh. But I watched the way he did them. And as a scientist, I could say, okay, if I stood on a force plate and you put, okay, if you put your feet way ahead of the, of yourself in the Smith machine, you're kind of doing it more like a hack squat. That's right. Yeah. Okay. But what if you put your feet, if you notice next time you squat, you unrack the bar and you're kind of leaning forward just a little bit. In fact, I remember Dan Green, I was watching him in a seminar and he's like, I like to lean forward just a little bit because when you get to the bottom, you're going to be leaning anyway. Why not start off that way so that when you're at the bottom, it's not so dramatic of a, you just kind of start there. And I, I adopted that. So if you set up in a Smith machine with your feet underneath you and a little bit of a lean, and then you go down and come back up, you can argue the Smith machine takes out the anteroposterior balance component mm-hmm. of it. But you can measure on a force plate how much anteroposterior forces there are and if you set it up like a regular squat, you would have such minimal. Um, so then you're like, then why do it? Why not just squat? Well, I when I started doing Smith machine squats, I liked the way they felt. It was a little bit different, but I actually felt like they forced me to be because I'm six foot four. I lean. I'm like Lane. I'm a leaner. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I got my good morning to exceed my squat at one point. When I did West Side training, <laughs> my good morning got to 405, and my squat was 405. So. <laughs> wow. I, I have this incredible ability to like lean forward and, and good morning my squats. So the Smith machine made me stay a little more upright. And, and, but I, it still looked like my squat. So I decided to do a, a, I think it was a six or eight week just Smith machine squats. But I also did Smith machine hip thrusts and deadlifts. Now, my deadlift strength went way down. <laughs> I ended up losing like 30 pounds off my deadlift losing like 50 pounds off my hip thrust because they're very biomechanically different. But my squat strength, I actually set a PR, not even squatting at all. 
I did tons of Smith machine squats and I felt my quads getting stronger. Mm. And then I remember, cause I hadn't performed a squat in six or eight weeks and I got on the barbell and I was like, Oh, this feels, I feel a little bit wobbly. I still set a PR, but people don't, when they talk about the Smith machine, they mean you put your feet forward. The bottom line is, is what you said earlier. It depends. Right. People who want to lean, mm -hmm. lean, I used it. It forced me to stay more upright. I liked it. I, I set it up like my actual squat and it benefited me. All, all exercises are tools. Mm -hmm. And when, if you find the right use for the tool, they work really well. Some of them have far more uses. Uh, yeah. bar, a barbell squat, uh, you know, or just a squat in general for the average population, phenomenal exercise. As long as you do it right, it's a phenomenal exercise. Smith machine squat, probably not going to be applicable to as many people. But again, if it's a novel stimulus, if it's the right person, it can produce tremendous results. But I still go back to, and this is something I don't know if we'll ever be able to, to explain away through science, that's for some reason, free weights, like, like, look, a machine curl, I don't care what machine curl you do, unless it's novel and it's new, just doesn't build biceps like a barbell or dumbbell curl. And this is based, by the way, on my experience training thousands of clients, either directly or pro through proxy through other trainers and through my own experience. I have no studies to support this. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And this is what I like about fitness right now is that, you know, you got science coming out, but then you you go, you got the old wisdom that you're coming through and saying, well, why well, is it this what way? I don't, what I don't like about all of us, you know, as quote unquote experts debating these types of topics is the average consumer gets really lost in the weeds. They hear a statement like this is better than that. Yeah. And then what, what I know from behavior, from training all these people, they hear that. And now all they do is that. And what I think we would all agree on, no matter which study shows that this is better than that. All of it together and intermittently or phased, you know, and actually working through all of it is most ideal, which happened. What happens to the average person? And I remember being a young kid who was learning all this information. I would read an article or read a study. Holy shit, this is the best for that. Then what I, what would That's I do? Did. That's all I did for the next six months to a year. And what we know is that if you did that for a good six to eight, maybe 12 weeks, that's great. But then the, the returns on that start to diminish in a, a more ideal situation would be moving to another movement or exercise, similar but different, right? Yeah. Well, even like the EMG studies, they look at a specific muscle at a specific region. Did you have a strip of electrodes over the entire muscle? Could it be that maybe the seated row works a certain portion of the lap more than the mm -hmm. pull down? Mm -hmm. Could it be that seated rows build your rhomboids and, and traps, mid traps better than the lat pull down? Or, you know, like... We need to look at all like we you you always every bodybuilder always did a variety of exercise. In Angles. fact, for my for my one minute video Instagram tip for you guys out there, I I said you see this males do this all the time. They're like they see a woman doing like a cable kickback, and they're like, quit doing that stupid shit and just squat, <laughs> just squat. And I'm like, when when do you ever hear any bodybuilder say that with any other muscle? Right. Do, do they get pissed off when people are doing lateral raises and they're like, just military press, yeah. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> like, no, we don't do that. We, we know that you'll probably get better results in your shoulders doing military press and lateral raises. Right. But it's the only thing with, like, I never see someone doing like lying leg curls and they're like, you idiot, just stiff leg deadlift. <laughs> it's just some weird thing with the glutes. Hmm. And obviously you'd see better results doing like squats and some hip thrusts well, and some abduction because- I People forget about the upper glutes too, like the glute medius and the upper, yeah. upper subdivision of the gluteus maximus. And 
I take some women who want that shelf and I prioritize abduction and they, it grows. You know, and anyone who wants a good upper glutes do more abduction. Also, with males who do that for a while, they you you build those up and then all of a sudden squatting tends to feel better yep. for some weird reason, even though they're not used. Well, you a just ton tested. Of it. This I week. just started. I, I've never done hip thrusts for hypertrophy. I always did them for either correctional exercise or. For activation, I'd have a client that says, I can't feel my butt when I deadlift. And we do some hip, you know, some bridges and then we deadlift and they could connect a little better or whatever. But for the first time ever, I started doing um, hip thrusts for hypertrophy and my squat and my deadlift um, are, are doing better. I'm feeling more solid. In them. So there's definitely value um, to the weighted uh, hip thrust. And that brings up another point like, like, all right, so this exercise makes you feel but like when you like... When you start doing face pulls, maybe your shoulders feel a little little bit better. When you start doing some extra glute work, maybe you feel up. So they can help your squat. They can help right. your deadlift. They can help your bench press or something. Like That's what I, I started noticing. Like My military press, I started doing, you know, the bands with the, 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 bands with the handles on them? Yeah. I, I, I like double them up to make it really hard, and I would just do these like seesaw presses where I would hold the top for three seconds and then alternate and then i noticed my military press lockout got mm -hmm. i mean i could that was a weak point for me and then i got to where i could just hold the top the lockout for mm -hmm. a minute if i wanted to no it's 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 interesting i love the science about uh, around this and you know the strength gains that you get from exercises tend to be uh there's some general strength gains but then they tend to be very specific um even points of tension you could do the same exercise but because the tension is highest at a different you know, like I remember reading this a long time ago in another book, an old school book. Um, I think it was called Points of Flexion. I think it was a Positions of Flexion. Ah, see, yeah. I'm so happy when I have someone else in here who <laughs> remembers all the old shit. And it was all about that. It was about exercises that create the most tension in the stretch position, yeah. mid range, and at the contracted position. And ever since reading that, I really understood how to choose the exercises and how to change the angles and say, okay, I want something that's going to give me more resistance in this bottom portion, top portion, mid-range portion. And if you look at really good bodybuilding routines, that tends to be what they focus on. And, and, and the theory is, it has to do with, the, I guess, the way that the muscle fibers contract with the sliding, sliding filament theory. Is that where you would... No, it's really just uh, like, yeah, what... Like, all right, some muscles, like this is what's interesting too, because I don't think we, we don't really know why this happens. If you're training the quads, they get their most activation kind of around like 70 degrees of knee flexion mm. all right biceps try and flex your biceps fully flexed sure. it's hard try and flex them fully stretched it's hard mid-range is where you get the great greatest biceps activation totally triceps are similar uh but then with the glutes and the erectors are two of them that come to mind they get activated the highest in the short most shortened position so like if we're sitting right now and we try and squeeze our glutes you can't quite get as much activation as if you stand up and squeeze right. and walk out. Yeah. And same with the erectors. They're the, like, you want to do like a Superman pose. I, th I think that all has to do with how we evolved. I mean, think back to the quads. We were designed to walk and run, or we evolved to walk and run. Glutes. It could be from evolution. Yeah. It could be about, like, the moment arms, like the brain senses. Because, like, with the glutes, you do have better moment arms at end range. Mm -hmm. It could be to do with, like, the resting sarcomere lengths or something. But anyway, um, so, so why wouldn't you want to perform an exercise that stretches the muscle? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you want to do like a lunge or a deep squat for the glutes? 
why wouldn't you want to like you can still get great no the the caveat is if you it hurts <laughs> if if you get pain when you do mm -hmm. any exercise that's real deep then quit going deep pain inhibits muscle activation you'll see better results from not doing something that hurts you but if you can tolerate it do something that stretches the muscle do something that do just an awesome compound lift for it and then also do like a target movement that squeezes the end range portion and you'll probably see the best overall muscle development and it probably activates different regions and things like that and so I don't think it has to do the sliding filament theory as much as well because the sliding fil filament theory is like your strongest when but the thing is all the muscles have different they right. operate at different ranges so some so that I think that just is like an insurance policy that you're going to Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I want to address what we, we were talking about the this trend of you know people telling me oh stop doing that and only squat because I think uh, I'm guilty of even saying things like that because I remember probably in the early 2000s mid 2000s when you started to see and I don't know who it was so maybe one of you two who remembers the studies or remembers who was popular at that time but I I used I made a living off of finding girls in the gym that were doing jump lunges, donkey kickbacks, dog pees, and teaching them how to squat and deadlift because they were just not doing that exercise at all. And they were doing all these isolation type exercises where they could feel it and feel the burn or feel it in their butt. And they're doing supersetting and circuits and high rep. And I thought, man, I know if, the, if I could get this girl to deadlift or squat and go heavy, I'm going to blow, I'm going to blow her butt up more than she ever has with all these months or years of training this way. So I think a little bit of that is 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 the pendulum swung one way again, where it was, you saw there was this, uh, you know, girls were not, girls and guys, but girls especially were not doing low rep strength training type of exercises for the glutes. It was a lot of circuit isolation exercises. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, in my opinion, until CrossFit, did we start seeing girls squat and deadlift and do some of these incredible movements for the ass? Yeah, and it, I think also um, when it comes to you know training, the average person doesn't spend a lot of time or have a lot of time or make a lot of time for working out. So the average person is going to go to the gym three days a week, forty five minutes. I'm going to have them. I'm going to make sure that they do the best exercises. So when I see when I used to have clients that would work out twice a week and then I'd see them do all these isolation cable exercises, I would say, okay, stop. You're wasting your time because you're not here that much. There's not a lot of volume. You don't need to add tons of volume if you're not doing the main exercises. And so that would be my argument when it, you know, when it comes to that. What are some of the things that you By see? By the way, let me, let me chime in. Oh, yeah, I, so, I so agree with you and I did the same thing. Mm. Made a living off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember writing blog posts like, I mean, this like, the f I think this was this. Who did that? Who made it so popular? <laughs> like, who was it? Like Jane Fonda on TV doing shit? Probably, probably like, like that, yeah. Jazzercise and all that. It's well, how it's, they got it's women the, to work out because they were afraid of getting yeah, big and bulky. It's the whole, you see it with everything yoga, Pilates, bar. Mm -hmm. They prey on the fears of women. Mm -hmm. Like, this will get you, like, well, or even if they don't even mention weight training makes you bulky, if you say this gives you long, lean muscles, yeah. the, the, the implication <laughs> is that as opposed to strength training that gives you short, short fat, bulky, short yeah. fatty Huge muscles. Yeah. 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 So they, they're not stupid. They, they, and they might not even know they're doing it, but they're pinning that form of exercise against, mm -hmm. it's like every 
uh, agonist needs a protagonist or whatever. Every like hero needs a, 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 villain. a, a well, villain, and and so you've got weight training that's popular. So you need these these other things can uh, piggyback off of them and, and and pit themselves against them. But so yeah, but like the Jane Fonda, that <laughs> buns of steel and all that, that probably contributed to it. But you do see so many people. Um, I remember this, I was training this competitor back, this was probably, two, yeah, 2000 and, probably 2005 or six, and I'm training this competitor, and this nerdy guy walks up, and he's like, and he has a, he's in a, it's in a hotel gym, all right, and he has a clipboard, and he's decked out in like full fitness apparel, and has no muscle on him, and he spent the whole hour doing like, every arm isolation movement and tricep isolation movement. And I bet you his program was like a five day body part split. Yeah. But you don't need to spend a whole day, a whole day on arms. You need to get strong at the compound lifts. And he went up to her and she was squatting 135 and doing Romanian deadlifts with 155 for, you know, like three sets of 12. And he was like, I can't believe how strong you are. And wow, you have such nice legs. And I'm like, can't you see the, you see what she's doing and then why aren't you doing this if you can, it's weird, this disconnect. How long did it take you to piece together the the frequency aspect of, of training? Because I, I mean, I grew up watch, reading the magazines of the 90s and everything was about hit a body part once a week, yep. leave it alone, let it rest. Took me a long time to realize that Same. If, if I lift, if I train my body parts, not to sup, not to failure every time, but train them hard and split up the volume, train them three days a week, my body exploded. It'd take you a long time to... Uh, same for me. Uh, but that was during my body... Part. The first eight years I lifted, I did just body part splits. And here was my routine for like eight years. Monday was leg day because I, I wanted to build my glutes. <laughs> and <laughs> the and it's funny, I'd have my friends come with me or clients that I train and I'd train with them. And uh, they, they no one could make it through my leg day because it was like four sets of squats four sets of leg press, four sets of hack squats, four sets of stiff leg deadlifts, four sets of leg extensions, four sets of leg curls, and then the abduction and adduction machines. God. It was just brutal. People would puke. Yeah. And then Tuesday was chest, and then Wednesday was back, and then the Thursday was shoulder, well, sorry, uh, chest and arms, and then back and biceps, and then Thursday was shoulders. and then. But I noticed, I started doing this after a few years, I noticed that I gained more strength when I had that Friday, I'd have the three power lifts. So then Friday, I'd do bench, squat, and deadlifts. Yeah. And I noticed, it's funny, as I was doing that when I was, you know, 20 years old, and I noticed I needed that extra day because if, if a week went around, I didn't gain strength. Mm -hmm. I needed more frequency. And it's funny because I remember when I was in New Zealand getting, for, for the first year of my PhD, my professor's like ready to pick me up. He lives in the Kaimais, which is kind of where like the hobbits... Like that was yeah, film yeah, and yeah. stuff and it's a beautiful, beautiful area, but area. we were going for a week and we were going to be gone for a week. And he's like, I'm going to come pick you up. I'm like, hold on. I got to go to the gym real quick. And he's like, why? I'm like, cause I don't want to lose strength. And he starts quoting me the strength literature. He's like, strength decays at this rate. You won't, you have nothing to worry about. I'm like, I know what the average person might do, but I'm telling you, I lose strength. My twin brother's the same way. Like we get weak quickly. Mm. And so, yeah, even if I, if I bench press once a week, I get weaker. Mm -hmm. um, now, maybe if I did like eight sets, I haven't tried that. But uh, anyway, I need more frequency. I've, I've, I realized that for myself long ago, but everyone is unique. 
Um, but I, I realized for glutes, if I want them to do variety, like one day I like them trying to go heavy on hip thrust, but sometimes if you go too heavy, you don't feel it as much in your glutes. So right. that's what I like about having and then a lighter day where you focus not on progressive overload, but more on the mind muscle connection and mm -hmm. stuff. That's what I like about high frequency training. The problem is if you try that for every muscle group, you spin your wheels. Yeah, no, but you know, one thing I, I learned uh, that I implicate or that I use now and I've used on my clients is something I call trigger sessions. And the funny thing is, I've heard other people talk about something similar. They just have different names for it. But with, what I used to do is, it worked phenomenally, is I'd hit my whole body relatively heavy, roughly three days a week. But then on the days in between, I'd get some bands and a few times a day I'd get a pump and the muscles that I want to really work. And I'd just get the bands, do a pump. And I'd do this three times a day on my off days. Boy, did my prog my progress explode. And the intensity's low. It's so funny. I call that the compound bro system. Really? Yeah. Um, and I made that, but yeah. When, when did you come up with that? I think I started talking about it like three years ago. Okay, so I beat you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, pay you I'll pay you some royalties. So he's got you on the hip thrust. What, yeah. I, what, I, <laughs> yeah, what, what I realized was, like for me, I love training full body. I love the whole Monday, Wednesday, Friday, full body. Sure. It's awesome because you get the two days off on the weekend. You come back on Monday, ready to roll. Right. It also leaves a lot of, uh, like if I want to focus on my squat, I can do like a squat on like Monday and Wednesday and then, when, or sorry, Monday, Friday, and then Wednesday lead off with a single leg movement. Sure. And really, I can specialize. I can really build strength on mm -hmm. a movement. Um. So I love that, but it's... People like us like to go to the gym yeah. and you have to recognize that. So you can theoretically have what's best on paper, but you have to address the psychology. And I have a lot of followers. They're like, I like to work out five days a week. I, if I don't go to the gym, I feel mm -hmm. like I'm, and I'm like, why can't you read a book or watch TV instead? Like, or do something for your business or film an Instagram thing or something. But no, they want to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. And I understand that because I'm the same way. So I start saying either on Tuesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, go to the gym, but do these bro sessions. And with the bro sessions, just you get just have to learn what exercises interfere with your strength the next day and what exercises don't. You can do some lying leg curls. Now, assuming, like, like, let's say you haven't done lying leg curls in two years, and then you go do three hard sets. Of course, your hamstrings are sore the next day from novelty. Sure. But if assuming you're doing these movements frequently, you can bust out some leg curls, some, mm -hmm. some we, typically single joint movements, but also rows. We like call rows those don't ever beat focus you sessions. Up, yeah. you know? Trigger sessions or focus sessions. This is what's in our programs, yeah. and yeah. and they blow people away because yeah. the, the the there's something to be said about frequent muscle stimulation. You know what what got me to this point was witnessing the blue collar workers in my family who never lifted weights. You know, I'd have mechanics in my family who were like retired at 68, and their forearms were yeah. just. <laughs> And, I, and they didn't. It's not. They didn't lift weights. And at some point, you know, cranking a wrench isn't going to make you sore anymore. So I'm like, how are their forearms so damn muscular? It's that frequent signaling. And so I just combine that with traditional resistance training, where I'll take bands, and this is what I'll do three times a day. Take five, eight minutes. I'll get a pump and whatever body parts I want to work three times a day on the off days. My recovery accelerated, and I built uh, more muscle. And then I tested it on clients. Now think it, about the bands, though. In, in the bottom position, there's not much. Right. You're only not creating working, a lot of damage. Yeah, no damage. Right. Or not much damage at all. So it doesn't, you don't take as, so with the bodybuilders, all the exercise they ever did were hard, mostly right. like stretch position. Like think about chest day. It would be bench press, mm -hmm. dumbbell incline press, dips, and flies. 
that that might re- take five days to recover right. from. I'd rather do a little bit less, and also maybe 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 just do bench press, and like pec deck because pec deck won't. But then do chest three times a week. Yep, and you but, get better you get better results. Yeah, that way. I and, think so too. And I, I think there's this disconnect between. It's like the bodybuilders all love body part splits, but a lot of the personal trainers, because when we take, we're not going to put most of our clients on a body part split Mm -hmm. because they come to us two or three days a week. Mm -hmm. So we would do full body. I also think, though, here's the deal. When you look at bodybuilders, especially high-level bodybuilders, you are looking at a very special group of individuals whose muscle-building signal after lifting weights probably stays elevated for two or three times as long as the average person. If I hit a body part once a week, I don't give a shit how hard I hit it. I'm not going to build muscle. In fact, I start to get weaker. Now, you might have some people who are just so genetically gifted in that department. They hit their body part hard once during that week. That muscle is building all week long. Well, it doesn't but, work like that for what me. I, what I learned, I, I agree with you on that. Well, I don't know about the like elevated. I'd have to look into that, the elevated uh, protein synthetic yeah, uh, time, synthesis, time yeah. like, the, like where it drops off. I'm sure there's a genetic component to that like everything else. Totally. But, uh, but I don't know a lot of this. Why I have like my smart friends? I ask them these questions. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but look at what the bodybuilders always did when they wanted to bring up a lagging part. More frequency. Every one of them would yeah. say, you know, I remember Tony Freeman back in the days. Like I'm training arms three days a week. I need to build up my arms. Nasser used to do back three times a week. Yeah. Because he was, Arnold. I'm yeah. gonna start doing calves like you know frequently to build them up. But the problem is. You have to, that's a specialization. You can't do that for every single part or else. You have to learn how to modify intensity. Yeah. You have to be very smart with how you, how hard you train, what exercises you pick. The volume, the exercise selection, and the effort that you put in it, right? All that. But I, but what I've learned from training clients and I learned training myself, frequency, that's a wonderful, very underutilized tool. It was all about intensity forever. It was always how hard you could train it. And nobody was thinking, wait a minute, if we train, we reduce the intensity, train it more frequently, what's going to happen? And in my experience, people would get better results almost every single time. It's funny. There's like what we talked about, the pendulum swing and this kind of ebb and flow. Even as my, my experience as a lifter, I go through phases and it might be related to my work stress and all these things. And But like <clears throat> I remember uh, – when I started more high frequency training, I saw better results. But then I think I got a little caught up in too much. Well, you get to I want to train my glutes every session. <laughs> or I want my <laughs> I want to train every muscle every session. You got a thing with glutes, man. Well, not just glutes. <laughs> I also like delts. Like yeah, okay. I want delts every session. You Button know, shoulders. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and because when my shoulders are pumped, like if you could, when I have a an awesome shoulder pump, if you said to me, Brett. For $1 million, this will be like your resting, <laughs> your resting look. I would easily, here, deal. Yeah. I mean, I would kill to look like how I look with a glute pump. Just, I mean, a shoulder <laughs> pump, a delt pump. There it is again. Not a glute pump. <laughs> Freudian a delt slip. Pump. I would do anything to, to just look like that permanently. Yeah. Hey, I want to touch on that, actually. Yeah. You would be a great person to talk about this because um, I've, I've never been able to really put words to this. Um, and this is just my own experience with myself and training clients. Um, I neglected heavy strength training for a really long time because I fell I fell in love with the chasing the pump and the hypertrophy side of training forever. And I used to say this, and you and I are built pretty similar. I'm 6'3", lanky, been always a tall, lanky kid. 
man, if I could just look the way that I was aired up and pumped, like I would be so happy. That's the look I want. Because being a tall, lanky guy, you probably have the same thing too. I grow like two, three sizes in the gym. When I'm water's in me, I'm pumped up. I'm a lot different looking than what I look throughout the day. And I just, I used to love that. Now, when I started to strength train, I noticed this change in my body. And again, I started to apply this to clients when I started to piece this together because a lot of trainers, probably bad trainers like myself early on in your career, you do a lot of the shit you're doing to yourself, to your clients. So if you're training yourself, not the most optimal, you're probably not training them the most optimal. Of course. What I noticed, and I don't know how to put words to this, when I started strength training, I looked better out. There wasn't as much of an inflated, deflated version of me. When I was only hypertrophy training, I had this huge drastic swing. And I've seen this too in my peer. I, comp- I don't know if you know, I'm an IFBB pro. So when I was competing with all my peers, a lot of them still neglect. I don't know. You should know this because you train a lot of competitors too. A lot of them neglect strength training. A lot of them think that's powerlifting. I should never lift three to five reps. And so they avoid it and they only chase the pump, chase the pump. And they look great aired up. But then when they are flat, they look kind of smaller and soft. When I started to strength train, I felt like almost I built denser muscle. Should I, can I say that? What do you think that is? So, um, that was this, I mean, that's in the Zatsyorsky text, the Mel Sif stuff like super training. And it talks about two different types of hypertrophy. There's myofibrillar and sarcoplasmic and the drawings they did were very dramatic. Like here's all the myofibers that you build. And then if it's sarcoplasm, it's just the fluid inside and the organelles and stuff like that. And then they talked about irrational hypertrophy, which was when the sarcoplasmic outstripped the uh, capacity to feed the myofibrillar or something like this, something crazy. But then that got scrutinized. And then a lot of some researchers were like, no, that's not even a thing. They grow at a fixed rate. Like there's a fixed proportion. And then just in the last year, some evidence came out showing that you there is a difference. Like you can build a little bit more sarcoplasmic versus myofibrillar. It's just not as stark as people think. But the old the the what made it make sense was they'd say, Well, look at these power lifters, they're all dense. The bodybuilders look like they're pumped up and full of fluid. They don't look as functional and as dense. Now I don't, um, I don't think it's as big of a deal as most people make of it, but I think what the I think the thing is the bodybuilders were just on more stuff. <laughs> they take mm. more steroids than than the powerlifters did. Um, and so then and you think they'd be more filled with fluid and maybe, water because they have more water retention because okay. of the they're they're on a lot more stuff. Because I don't think you see that much of a difference with like natural powerlifters versus natural um, uh, bodybuilders, but regardless, I totally agree with you. Uh, and, and this is what, what, what I've found. Like, so I can mention like my, my, uh, one of my clients, Tana Eubanks McCoy, she is a, you know, she finished in the top 10 bikini Olympian in the last several years. You know, she's a really good competitor. When I started training her, I'm like, cause everyone like, all right. Um, I get so, I'm sure you guys deal with this. Everyone thinks they're advanced. I'm not, this has nothing to do with Tana right now. Sure. Everyone thinks they're advanced. They're like, well, that routine's too simple for me. I need a more <laughs> yeah. advanced routine. Oh, I hate that. Everyone. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you're advanced. How many chin-ups can you do? Why? How many chin-ups can you do? Like one or two? Okay, you're not advanced. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't mean to be a dick, but like, I just get annoyed that 
everyone thinks they're so advanced because they're they've like, been the, been going to the gym for yeah. three years. They assume that right, they, right, yeah, right for three years and half and most of it was unproductive training. So, but back to Tana, that had nothing to do with Tana. Tana wasn't like I'm advanced. Tana was came to me saying, "I'm fizzled out. I've competed so much, I don't even want to go to the gym." And I'm like, "I know the perfect solution." She's been doing body part split for so long. Uh, I'm gonna have her do strength athlete. Yeah, I'm going to have her do full body and have strength goals, and she's going to love it. So I said, how many chin-ups can you do? One. I'm like, what are you currently doing? She's like, I, she does a lot of different types of pull-downs. And pull-downs are great. I love pull In fact, I like pull-downs more than chin-ups for me. Um, but I weigh 240 pounds right now, and um, they just feel better. But with with pull, it's the same with leg curls. This is why I like Nordic ham curls so much. I have a Nordic station. You guys should get one because mm-hmm. you do them way more when you actually have a set, a dedicated station for them. Mm-hmm. With the Nordics, you're not going for two two sets of twelve. You're or three sets of twelve. You're going for like three to five really good reps, and you're focusing on the lowering phase. Okay, you're you're putting your all into a few reps. Chin ups. I said Tana. You're you're a fitness person. You should be able to do ten chin ups. She got ten chin ups like ten weeks later. Like she got one chin up week one, two on two mm-hmm. on week two. It was like linearly. She gained a rep every week, and in ten weeks she's doing ten chin ups. She wasn't doing as much volume for her back. You know, she, she before she was doing more pull downs, but it obviously she wasn't giving them her all. When you're striving for for, for performance goals. You're fighting every last, you know, you're like fighting for that extra chin up, whether you get it or not. And so her back grew and she started taking pictures like she'd screenshot the top of her chin up. She'd go, what is this? Oh, my God, what is this? Like, yep. Look at this back. Yep. And her back grew. So we talk about volume. We talk about all this stuff. But exercise selection is important. And that's why my girls, same with the Nordic, they started sending me uh, one day I'm, I'm in glute squad and I'm like, Okay, we're gonna do hip thrusts. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do, we're gonna do Nordics, and all of a sudden, like ten girls go yes, and I'm like, they don't even <laughs> do that with the hip thrust. So I'm like, I think that's like their favorite exercise yeah. right now. So I start doing Nordics twice a week with them, and all of a sudden they start kind of. I didn't think anything of it, but all of a sudden they start showing me their competition pictures. They're like, Brett, my glutes look better, but look at my hamstrings. Yeah. The only thing I've done different is I start doing Nordics, and I'm like. And they're like, everything else was the same. And 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 a lot of these girls, too, it's really cool because on peak week, a lot of the bodybuilding coaches, they just, it's, I I could go on for a long time about how, how poor some of their practices are, but they kind of say like, oh, quit lifting like a, a month out. You pretty much quit training hard. And the week of, you take the whole week off. And I like to push my girls really hard on that Monday the Monday of peak week, and I like to give them body weight milling. So I have so many clients that got their first full range Nordic where they go down all the way and come up. And then like they said, a chin up PR on like the Monday or Tuesday before their competition, it gives them, it reflects in their confidence on stage. Mm-hmm. They're up there strutting their stuff because they just set a PR. There's, they're, you know, because you'll lose absolute strength but gain relative strength. or Because your weight goes down. Yeah. And so... Anyway, I think with some exercise like that in these strength goals, but everything we've talked about this ebb and flow. Well, I, I I remember earlier I meant to make the point that I started training too often, and my shoulder, my elbows and shoulders start hurting from yeah. trying to hit lateral raises three times a week while you're also benching and this. And I chilled out on those, 
and my shoulder, my mm-hmm. I cleared up. I think you can get even with strength goals. You can't. I mean, I have to tell people all the time. They're like, "Well, is ten? Sh- what should I do? Just go up ten pounds a week?" <laughs> I'm like, okay, there's fifty two weeks in a year. If you went up ten pounds a week, you'd go up five hundred twenty pounds in a year. If you went up one rep a week, you'd get fifty two more reps. It will not happen. Yeah. Getting if you went one, went up one rep a month, that's twelve more reps. That. You won't do that with chin-ups, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, you have to, that's the hard thing about teaching progressive overload and what mm-hmm. it means. And you have to – that's what I like about – and I think that's the hardest thing we do is, as as the experts or whatever. We, we, we dole out advice, and it's so hard to explain to people how to back off, when to push it, how to back off, how, what – push this exercise, then back off on it, then focus on this. There's so many, so many variables. And and we always answer questions in our question and answer uh, episodes. We'll say it depends. It tends to be the, it's the answer for most things. Like it depends. Like how many times should it work out during, you know, during the week? It depends. What are the best exercises for quads? It depends. But there's no better time. Like what you said, there's, I just took a, 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 okay. I just started training my, my, my client Carly. Yeah. I've always been accused of playing favorites, even as a teacher and as a personal <laughs> trainer. <laughs> and they're always like, Mr. Kendrick, you play favorites. And I'm like, of course I play favorites. You think I like you all the same? <laughs> <laughs> some of you suck and some of you are amazing. <laughs> this is the real world. <laughs> You're not going to, you want me to like you, you'd be a good student, and, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but even as a trainer, like you pay closer. Of like course, I, no, no trainer. My- <laughs> every trainer loves a client that follows everything. you Yes. Because it's our way of studying all the time. Right, it's right. like, I have this idea or this theory. I'm going to apply yeah. it. I'm going to apply it to my five best clients who I know are going to follow it to yeah. a T, right? So I have this client, Carly, and I, I didn't pay much attention to her. And all of a sudden, I gave the progressive overload speech to them. And then uh, anyway, one day I'm looking at her and she's hip thrusting like, some ungodly amount of weight. I'm like, whoa. And she's like, yeah, well, ever since you made that, gave us that talk like a month ago, I started pushing it hard. And I'm like, well, what were you doing before? She's like, just doing the same workout every time. (laughs) I'm like, what? So I've really started pushing her. And I have to tell her like, Carly, there's never, you're going to be spoiled because this is the first progressive overload plan you're on. So uh, You're like not going to always re- progress. Yeah, two weeks yeah. ago, she sumo deadlifted 245 for five. Wow. And then Monday, she got it for 10. Or sorry, Thursday, she got it for 10. Yeah. Like she doubled the reps that she got. And she's just, I'm, I'm having her squat. She's on cloud deadlift. nine right now. Oh, and, and she's going to be so spoiled when in like three months that comes to a grinding halt and it becomes hard to f- get another rep. Uh, and you're used to going up multiple reps per week or adding weight. And and it's, it's really hard, but I told her like, please don't, you're spoiled right now. You got to learn how to not be depressed when those gains. Right. right. I remember one of my powerlifting, be more realistic. My powerlifting friends, um, he was so strong and he was a natural lifter. And then he started doing steroids and he's like, Brett, I don't mean to sound shallow, but I've never been happier in my life. Like it is so fun working out. Yeah, every like, workout, every you're workout, I'm every time it every, works. Yeah, every single workout. And then I watched him come to a grinding halt too. After a time when you start, I think he got so strong his um, you know his his muscles can do the job, but the connective tissue can't. You yeah. start getting mm-hmm. beat up so bad, and I mean he was deadlifting 750 pounds and didn't even weigh 200 pounds, you know, and 
it was so cool for me to watch that too. Cause, and, and, and that's what we were talking about earlier with, he, he, he would, he, he was so strong off the floor with his deadlift, but his lockout was weak. And I'm like, I want you to do two exercises, barbell hip thrust, and then rounded back, back extensions. But I want you to hold a dumbbell and just really squeeze. Cause when you're on the platform, you know, lift number one and two, you generally hold really good. If you're conventional, mm-hmm. sumo is different. If you're conventional, rep one and two, you might hold good posture, but rep three usually round a little bit. And then that makes it comes off the floor quicker, but it makes it a lot harder to lock out. Mm-hmm. So you strengthen the glutes at end range hip extension. And then, you know, he's like two months later, he's like, Brett, oh my God, this is now a, I, that's no longer a weakness. It's a strong, my lockout is now a strong point. If I can get it past my knees, I'm locking out now. And uh, then I've watched him, his career, and then you start battling injuries because he, he went up too fast or you got to learn how to, I don't know. It's interesting to work with that population because they get so strong and then they have to, they can't train as frequently or you've got to do things differently than what you did. Well, it works, everything works, not everything works all the time. And what works now may not work later because circumstances, context yeah. change, age changes, you know. Oh, this tell is, me about it. <laughs> this is true for nutrition. This is true for exercise. Yep. And so I think the best advice uh, that I've ever given a client is, is, or the best thing I've ever taught them was to learn how to read their own bodies and listen to their own bodies. Because we can get really hard-headed with, no, this is the what's supposed to work. So I'm going to do this the whole time and it's not working for you. So well, it works great for, well, you know, the period of my time where I saw the best results ever was when I did the one set to failure. I did that for eight months. Would you read heavy duty, Mike Mentzer? Not heavy duty. i stumbled upon this forum. It was like the hard gainer with like, uh, he wrote Braun and Beyond Oh, I know Braun, who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stu McRobert yeah, yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. But then there was also this cyberpump website. I think it's still there. It's, <laughs> It was about just doing one set to fair. And, but the reason it worked so well for Novel. me is because for eight years, I told you, my yeah. first eight years, I did high volume yeah, body yeah, parts. Totally training. opposite. And I remember going, how could you ever get a good workout doing one set? I needed four or five sets at the time to feel like I got yeah. a good workout in. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to do one set. I'll do two sets to <laughs> failure. Mm-hmm. And then I saw some results. So then I'm like, okay, maybe I'll go to one set. What I learned then is you you get really good at, I mean, I would do like bent over reared out raises with like the twenties, you know, but when you're only doing one set, I remember I got to where that was probably the muscle that grew the most was my reared outs back then. Cause I, I included a reared out raise in that during that time. And I went from doing like the twenties for four sets of 12 to only doing one hard set, but I was like trying to beat the record every time. And all of a sudden I was doing them with sixties. I'm sure I wasn't, I was like bending my arms sure, more, sure. but I remember looking like eight, eight, you know, eight months later, I was like, my rear delts have grown a lot, but my strength went up yeah. a lot and I, my physique improved. And I think that I was just, you know, we never deload. We don't, <laughs> we go to the gym every week. We don't, I would push it really hard and I was probably overdoing it a little too much. And, then the dude doing the one set to failure, not only did I have more recovery abilities because I wasn't doing as much volume, but it taught me how to really push a set hard where I thought I was going to failure. Well, well you, I, I, you, you get really good at going to failure when you're only doing one hard set. And also you you learn to like breathe. Like you kind of, it's kind of like a, a cluster set or like rest pause training. Yeah. Cause 
I would do a set of squats and it would be like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you'd end up getting, you know, I'd end up getting three or five more when you thought yeah. you were done. It's, I, it's yeah. uh, I did the same thing. I, I read the Colorado experiment with uh, Arthur Jones, you know, those, those the yeah, old with pictures Casey of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh-huh. and I remember being like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And it worked because it was novel. Yep. Um, but it stopped working yep. just like everything else does yep. if, if you don't change it. Same. Up. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Uh, I'm really glad you came on the show, dude. You're a lot of fun. And I really appreciate you uh, communicating the way you do um, from your perspective. You, you're very measured um, and you seem to have a lot of integrity. And I know I've seen you before get in debates and then come back and change your position. And you don't. You always seem like somebody who's who's willing to do that. Oh, and you I, can I appreciate that. Well, you know why? I, and I think I've never heard you say this until today. Um, you know, you you listed yourself off as a uh, would you say an, a, a teacher, then trainer, a lifter, and then, a lifter, trainer, a lifter, trainer, scientist. and then scientist. And you know, one of the things I found with our other scientist friends is not a lot of them have been trainers or were trainers first, and so they speak from the study all the time. And they somebody who's trained a lot of bodies has probably seen a lot of studies kind of debunked right before their eyes. And so I think that's what makes you so special when you talk about this stuff. So it was a very, it was a pleasure having you here today. Yeah, thanks, man. Yep. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.